Welcome everybody to the Monthly Movie Dispatch. This is a show where we get together every month and we talk about what we've seen, what we haven't seen, what we recommend, and what to avoid. What separates us from the other 100,000 movie-related shows that are on YouTube and on podcast networks is that we're high school friends and we've been discussing movies for 15 years, going on 16. We love talking film and we'd be doing it even if no one was listening. So... Uh, I'm here today in Mary's of Washington. I'm Nick Moffitt, and I'm here with Derek. What's your deal? Hi. Uh, where are you at, man? Everett? I'm in Everett. Uh, we got Sean Bowlby in Seattle, Washington. Hello. And we got his brother, Brandon Bowlby, also for this episode in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? So, uh, I guess. you guys are actually like sitting next to each other right now? Is that what's happening? Uh-huh. Yep. Wow. You know, may, maybe next year at this time we'll be able to uh, all be in the same place. Yeah. And we'll uh, have gone super famous by that point and we'll have a uh, we'll have a sold out theater of people listening to us talk about the monthly movie dispatch. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. not, but um, you know, one can dream. Either way, um Anyway, guys, I'm excited to talk to you guys about movies today. Uh, we have got a bunch of movies to talk about. We have uh, our film club segment that Sean picked a movie for this month from any time in history that we're going to be talking about up top. And then each of us have picked a movie from 2020 that we're going to be going through and uh, discussing. So, I don't know. We got a lot to talk about. But real quick, let's do some warm-up questions. Um, I tried to make them uh, relevant for what's going on and... Uh, unfortunately, um, uh, we lost a great actor just a few days ago. Chadwick Boseman passed away and, um, he had stage three colon cancer and, uh, you know, I don't think anyone really knew about it. It was very surprising and shocking and very, very sad. Um, that being said, um, uh, what for you guys was the best Chadwick Boseman movie? Uh, I mean, I didn't, I, it really sucks that I haven't seen, like, I've only, I think I've only seen him in Black Panther and the Marvel stuff. I know he's done some other, um, pretty prominent roles, but I haven't had the opportunity to actually see any of those movies. Um, yeah. 42. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually going to, I was going to ask you guys, what was the better biopic from Chadwick Boseman, uh, 42 or, uh, James Brown? But I figured, yeah, you guys hadn't seen both of those. Yeah. Unfortunately, I've not seen it. Yeah. Twenty one bridges. The only other one I, yeah, the only other one I've seen with him in it is The Five Bloods. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah that's, that's actually it. Um, forty two and the Five Bloods. Mm-hmm. So with that said, my favorite is Forty Two. Okay. Cool. Um, I'm going Black Panther like Derek, but uh, yeah, I'll go with Black Panther for sure. Um. Since I haven't seen any of his other movies. <laughs> well, um, staying relevant with our show, uh, Sean picked an Alfred Hitchcock movie for uh, his his uh, film club segment. Um, out of these three Alfred Hitchcock movies, which one is your favorite or or the best? Uh, Psycho, The Birds, or uh, Rear Window? Uh, Psycho, for sure. Rear Window. The Birds. Oh, birds. Three-way split. Ooh. Nice. What about Nick, Nick Tiebreaker? Ooh. Um, honestly, uh, uh, 
I think Psycho is his best movie, but uh, The Birds is my favorite Hitchcock movie. You didn't so. go with the vert- with Vertigo either. You didn't throw that in there. Yeah, well, Which is, I could have also said crazy. North by Northwest and mm-hmm. um, and uh, Vertigo. I was going to throw those two in there, but then uh, I figured three would make it more interesting to get mm-hmm. a, a split, possibly, which we ended up getting. And um, I also could have thrown Rebecca in there or uh, Rope. But, you know, Hitchcock, you can go on and on and on, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so uh, Derek picked a horror movie for his uh, 2020 movies for uh, this for this month. Um, going back a couple summers, which was the better summer horror movie, Midsommar or Hereditary? I put Midsummer, Midsommar higher. So uh, I put Hereditary higher. I I liked Hereditary. I think I enjoyed Hereditary more just because I thought it was. You it was it. Uh, scary. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, but it, it was scarier. It was more intense. Uh, mid, you know, Midsummer's great, and it's it's just a little, I don't know, slower, more think PC, I guess. Yeah, that guy's an incredible director. But Hereditary, like I often still like go and watch little like videos on her- Hereditary. Just it's such an endlessly fascinating. And truly terrifying movie. Definitely mm-hmm. hereditary for me. I I'd, I'd go with Midsummer, honestly. Um, Ooh, even split. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, he's great. Do we need um, Kelly for a tiebreaker. She hasn't seen either. I've been uh, I've been trying to get you know Shannon, my wife, to watch her at her to watch Midsummer. She doesn't really like horror movies mm-hmm. that much, and I I feel like it's like barely a horror movie. Yeah, Midsummer's fairly yeah. light. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, that- that's a, well. But the, the I mean, in comparison, light, fun in comparison to hereditary, which is just like Jesus right. Christ. Um, the the thing that's stopping her from watching it is that she knows about the opening scene, and uh-huh. like, that opening scene is like so like traumatic and awful and scary, but not really scary, yeah. but just you know, just mm. just really awful, really yeah. messed up and um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, I, honestly, that's what stopped me from rewatching the movie too. Um, I really want to watch the director's cut though. So uh, one of these days. Yeah, I, I've been trying to get. I think I've convinced Kelly to watch it, and we just uh, haven't had an opportunity. So maybe we can. Need like some four yeah, hours. See me, but I'm syncing up my fingers. We well, can. Sync them up. Sync them up. Sync them up, man. You gotta do it. You gotta sink them. Anyway, uh, so let's get let's get into the show. So we uh, started a new segment uh, this month called Film Club. Uh, we, for those uh, that haven't been listening the last few months, while we were in quarantine during the pandemic, every month we picked a movie from any time period. All four of us would pick a different movie from any time in history, and all four of us would be forced to watch it. And um, it was very fun for a few months, but we're trying to get back into 2020 movies, even though theaters around us aren't really open yet. We're just trying to, you know, find movies to uh, to you know talk about from this year. Um, but we still wanted to keep a nugget of the um, of what we were doing the last few months uh, into our show because it was really fun to have everyone pick a movie. So we're gonna do one movie a month. Everyone picks. Uh, just we're, we'll rotate months. Uh, and Sean got to be the first person to pick a movie for the film club segment. So, 
Uh, Sean, do you want to set us up with your movie? Um, yeah, I picked uh, The Trouble with Harry, uh, the, uh, the Alfred Hitchcock film. Um, IMDb summary is, The Trouble with Harry is that he's dead, and everyone seems to have a different idea of what should be done with his body. That's a good summary. That's a solid summary, Sean. So yeah. <laughs> this was a pretty uh, unique movie. Uh, it was a comedy, and Hitchcock uh-huh. doesn't typically do comedies. Uh, why Why did you pick this movie? Um, yeah, it kind of is in theme with uh, many of the other movies that I've picked. Um, I've been picking kind of interesting um, and kind of unexpected movies within – directors careers uh where the directors are typically better known known for other types of genres or other types of movies um with like uh the killing with alfred or uh with uh, stanley kubrick and then uh after hours with martin scorsese um so I kind of wanted to go with that theme and and reinforce that theme and I think this is a, a really great uh a really great movie in that theme because it's, I mean, Alfred Hitchcock is not known for his comedy by any means, even though like in a lot of his movies, I actually think he's quite funny. He has a, he has a really good sense of humor in in a lot of his movies. Uh, But um, yeah, I just, uh, it's a bizarre movie. The, the uh, summary doesn't really explain it super well, but um, the movie is about, um, Harry dies in the woods and several people from this small little New England town uh, all think that they are responsible for his death and so they're all kind of trying to cover up his body um, and uh, antics ensue um, and uh, <clears throat> yeah it's it's um, Sean, you used, a, you used a word last week uh, to describe uh, a comedy about death that me and oh, yeah. that the rest of us hadn't heard before. What was that word again? Gal, gal, <clears throat> gallows humor. Gallows it's, humor. Uh, yeah, it's um, <laughs> it's yeah, just uh, humor from death. Um, I think that term actually comes from public executions and uh there being entertainers like people would come out to public executions for the for the entertainment value of them and there would actually be entertainers there at the at the executions and how do you know this (laughs) (laughs) this um so i think that's kind of where the term comes from um if we wanted a history lesson here uh but yeah, it's uh, it's just really making light of death and dead bodies, and um, yeah, this is kind of a uh, you know if you looked it up in the dictionary, this movie might come up, movie poster might be there. Okay, yeah, uh, I mean, type thing. I had, I had no idea um, about Gallo's humor, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, this movie, I, I was wondering, would you describe this as, like, absurdist? Because uh, for me, like, I thoroughly enjoyed watching it. I was uh, entertained throughout. But also, I had no idea what was happening for any of it. Like, uh-huh. I was very confused why 
everyone didn't really care that much about getting caught or they're all worried that they they thought that they, they all thought that they were the murderer but no one was worried about going going to jail or anything and it was it was yeah. very it was very confusing to me but um you know i think it was maybe supposed to be absurdist uh yeah i would say in that arena um maybe it doesn't really hold up to uh more modern absurdist comedies uh in its absurdity, but it, it kind of takes on a much more light tone. Uh, but I would say that that is true. You know, you, you really aren't, while you're watching the movie, you're not supposed to concern yourself with um, whether or not the characters are going to get away with it and, and what's the, you know, moral implications of what's going on. And are these the characters that you're watching and the, pro- are pro- the protagonists is, is what they're doing right or is it wrong? You know, it's, it's, um, you know, it's just a bizarre, lighthearted, uh, kind of fun little romp uh, that involves uh, this dead body. Right. And um, yeah, I think the movie really rides on that concept and, and it, it, uh, it really has a lot of fun with it. Um, you know, uh, it kind of, and like the idea of using that framework for a movie, which very easily probably could be a much more serious movie, uh, using that for a comedy and and finding what kind of situations the characters get themselves in is, I think, what makes the movie super fun. And especially like towards the end when they're like they they're constantly going back and forth debating of whether or not they want to bury the body or dig up the body or rebury the body or re dig up the body. It's just like, it gets pretty out there and, and then bizarre. it winds up in the bathtub somehow. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, um, I guess like for me, for my second watch, um, like I, I remember my first watch, I, I, remember like just being totally blown away with how bizarre the movie was and like uh the way i remembered it it was just like so out there but on my second watch it was a little it was a little slower um to to get to to really kind of ramp up um and i was a little i was less interested in like the the characters and and uh um the the earlier in the movie kind of uh the the first half of the movie wasn't as interesting to me but then i i do think it like it did kind of take off in the second half and and uh started getting more bizarre um but yeah i guess uh i'm curious to think i I guess i know what what nick thought about what is what do you think derek uh i liked it a lot um it was yeah, it was very different for an Alfred Hitchcock movie, but I think it being all about death and stuff was still a, kind of an appropriate subject for him. I think what the things I really liked about it were like they're all pretty simple base things. Um, I really liked just like the look of the movie. It was really bright the whole time, mm-hmm. like really captured that like pastel colors. Yeah, it oh, looked yeah. like a painting like, the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mister that. Yeah, like Mr. Marlowe really like won me over pretty quickly because he's just such a quirky, like weird guy. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, 
I mean, there's a setting and there's a time that the movie exists in. I don't really know exactly when it was like when it was made or when it takes place, but yeah, 1955 it came out. Okay. So yeah, right in that like uh, you know nuclear family, right. Americana, and they're kind of it kind um, of seems like they're out like pretty far out in the middle of nowhere, like this little town. There's not even like real cops there. It's like a volunteer. Yeah, somewhere in New England. Like, I don't know Connecticut. Maybe is that Brennan? Do you have a an idea? I, I guess Nick. It did look like New England. Like it, mm-hmm. I, I don't think it was uh, specific at all, but it definitely looked like an old uh, New England town. Which I really thought was cool, and uh, Derek, I want just that the the color palette there really felt like New England as well, and yeah. especially in the fall, like it felt like mm-hmm. New England in the fall. Right, right. Yeah, and that character just really kind of carried me through the movie. I think because he was just unique enough and uh, had like weird observations and opinions about things, and like just the way he interacted with people, never really knew what how, like how what he was going to say or like what perspective he was going to take on which situation and like uh i don't know i think for this kind of story and for it's not like a super dense movie you know i think like that character was like integral to making it so enjoyable for me it just like weird things he did and i don't know if any of them made sense like cutting the cigarette pack in half and he's like i'll be back to buy the other half late yeah. like i don't know if, yeah like in my head, I was like, "Well, maybe cigarettes didn't have filters back then, and so cutting in half actually does work. You do like half a cigarette, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. Or maybe he's just maybe. being a quirky, silly guy, and like it doesn't make sense, and that's what's funny about it. I don't know, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I don't know. He was just he kind of won me over, like, and it's just like weird, you know. He like needs money. He's like poor, right? But mm-hmm. like he won't sell his. his his shit it's just yeah i don't know this is funny and um yeah, yeah that's what really his, the movie to for, for me. payment as payment for his uh his paintings he asks you know everyone what the you know one thing that they want right yeah and that's, af- that's after always... denying the guy any mm-hmm. like willingness to yeah. sell stuff yeah that's right so i think i was a little a little mad on this film um, I think the most interesting part about it is why you chose the film is to see Hitchcock a little bit before his like seven film perfect spree he went on towards the end of his career. Mm-hmm. And this is like what, just a little bit before it. And he maybe had a few like good movies around it as well. Um, you know, it's not 30s Hitchcock, but mm-hmm. it's still pre like Vertigo. It's yeah, still right pre before North Vertigo and Vertigo. Psycho. Um, so yeah, like that novelty of seeing Hitchcock do a different genre a little bit before his prime was like, like, thanks for showing me that. But like most of the film to me, I was like kind of a little mad on. And you, you kind of said it, especially with the first half on it kind of like not making much sense or amounting to much of anything. And people doing these small things that also just like weren't all that funny like i didn't really even laugh at the absurdistness of it i don't know like the guy tripping because he's like reading a book it just like wasn't that funny either and if it had at least nailed that i could have been more on board um uh yeah so i missed that mark for me um yeah it did get a little more um did pick up more towards the end as the more like complex 
like stuff with the body was going on mm-hmm. but it really took a little there's like them going out to dinner and him trying to like swoon that 40 year old virgin girl it like seemed just very out of place <laughs> and uh not really a part of the story uh, yeah so uh, yeah especially the first half like you already said um yeah i mean i do think like when i first saw the movie i was i was you know kind of swept away by the ridiculousness of the concept um but then like in my head i I think i kind of reinforced that a lot and uh and as uh, on a second watch i did like uh, i i was a little um you know less into the first half for sure well i I don't think there was too much hitchcock is like greatness hitchcock isms in it like there wasn't too much incredible like directing either um Mm. Like, I mean, there's that really, like, besides literally the poster, yeah. where when that shot happens, you're like, whoa, yeah. like, that's really cool. And then, like, it just goes back to being super 50s yeah. and normal and plain after that. The poster with the, the shot with the Yeah, uh, I guess the I should kid. explain with the kid in the feet, oh, yeah. and, like, he's almost a part of the body. Yeah. Uh, it's just this one really starking shot they do a couple times in the movie. Um, so I guess I also missed there being, like, more, like, elevated direction um, at in the movie as well um, that Hitchcock is so known for, especially later on after this. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's I do I think that I do think there's something that to this though about. Um, I think there were I think there were a handful of Hitchcock things, maybe not like directing like stylizations, shots and stuff, but um, I do think there were a lot of like plot elements that were akin to a Hitchcock movie, but they were in the background. You know, like the the plot of the movie, someone dies and everyone thinks that they're the murderer. Like that could be another Hitchcock movie, but serious. Like that could yeah, be like Sean that, said at the beginning. That could this be could a be. whole mystery. Mm-hmm. But um, but instead, it's just like a silly movie. And I don't know. I thought it was pretty funny. I, yeah, you know, I will say I did. Like, I I liked all the characters uh, for the most part. Maybe not the. Um, the, the mother character with you know who with whose kid finds the body. Um, Man, Shirley MacLaine like, was amazing though. Like she was so fun. That was which, I mean, which one? Was yeah, she? Like, she's she was a, the young mother. The virgin. Lady. She's the young girl. But we've you know we, like I've only oh, yeah. known her as an adult. Like I've only known her as like the old lady who was in Bernie and yeah. you know uh, bewitched mm. and stuff. I guess I saw yeah. her in the apartment. No, honestly, but, Nick, I googled her right when she came up on screen because she was just like so stylish and cool and like like had such a great presence right away like i pulled up imdb instantly and i was like i wonder if she like had a big career after this oh yeah huge for sure huge i think she's the best actress winner but But um, yeah like captain albert willis (laughs) and i i I really liked his character and i i even kind of liked the the 40 year old virgin was hitchcock in this movie i don't think so i didn't know was he where was he did you catch him He's he's the man walking past Sam's outdoor exhibition. (laughs) I just I see that on Letterboxd, so I I I didn't catch him, but he is credited. So I do think we should move on though, um, because we got four of the movies to talk about. But uh, so it sounds like it was a pretty pretty silly movie. Um, You know, for fans of Hitchcock, uh, I think you should check it out because it's something different coming from him. Um, So moving on, though, uh, Derek, uh, we're going to talk about your uh, 2020 pick. Okay. 
So I chose Relic. Um, it was directed by Natalie Erica James. It's her first movie. And the letterbox plot synopsis is when Edna, the elderly and widowed matriarch of a family, goes missing, her daughter and granddaughter travel to their remote family home to find her. Soon after her return, they start to discover a sinister presence haunting the house and taking control of Edna. Um, so I chose the movie because it's probably, I think it would probably got a pretty big release. It seemed like a movie, like I saw lots of trailers for it on TV and it was only VOD. So I think that they, they knew they had something pretty good there. And, um, so I, this is a movie I would have seen regardless. I would have made time to go see it in theaters if it came out in theaters. So I wanted us all to, you know, give it the chance and check it out. And it was getting good, good reviews. So, um. Yeah, that's why I chose it. Yeah, God, this movie was something else. I really, really, really love this movie. Um, it's like, for me, I thought it, it kind of followed similar trends in horror that are popular. Like, you could make a genre of, like, I could probably name 20 movies off the top of my head that are about scary old people. Um, it's almost like a mm. you know a part a, a mid a small genre subgenre there you go mm. inside of just it. like in a, in a scary house. scary kids yeah exactly just like yeah scary, scary little kid, kids horror movie genre yeah haunted yeah. house like yeah um, but I think so I think this movie like kind of leans into some tendencies tendencies of those horror tropes but man it really elevates on every level I think like what really made this movie work for me i think is from the get-go you feel a kinship in like these characters like nobody really likes each other but it's like very obvious that they you know are totally willing to put their lives on hold to you know help each other and like you know grandma's missing you know, the, the mother and daughter don't have a good relationship. The mother and grandmother don't have a great relationship. And, but somehow through like the acting and the writing and directing, they're able to subtly sell their relationship to me. And I think that's like key because they do that pretty early on. And throughout the movie, as things get worse and worse and worse, like, and the, the they kind of start diving further into different tropes with like, you know, uh, I don't know, like a dark body moving in the shadows that, you know, someone catches out of the corner of their eye or different jump scares, which really do work for me in this movie. Like, uh, like that, but building that family dynamic when the ending comes, like it hits so hard for me, at least like, uh, I don't, I don't know if we should get into spoilers. I think this movie's pretty, like the spoilers are pretty important to, your enjoyment of it yeah and it's a new yeah. movie so maybe we shouldn't really spoil the ending but yeah. um i just think it was so carefully crafted in a like genre that's not known for their you know their their care for uh telling complicated uh stories about complicated subjects like dementia yeah and stuff like that there were Totally. I mean, there was a lot of like deep, uh, deep, complicated, like uh, dynamics between the characters, which you're like, that doesn't happen horror movies frequently where characters yeah. are so like, like they have these mixtures of relationships where like 
the daughter says something, the mom interprets it a different way, the grandma interprets it a different way, and then you could see their, their dynamics like unfolding through that. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I want to say a few things about this movie, but I agree, Derek, that they're, they're, it's a new movie. We don't want to spoil it, but um, it kind of has that element of like hereditary where it, yeah. it's something scary is happening like on screen and it's truly terrifying, but also like a big part of the movie is like just real like drama that happens between humans. And the movie works as an allegory to, um, to sell you on the drama to like show what that feeling is really like for, uh, for people who go through it. Like it can be like the, the real thing that people are going through can be really scary and intense and they kind of convey that as an allegory, but it's also like really, really scary. And I don't know about you guys. I wanted to kind of bring this up with you guys, but like, um, I, for a minute there, like forgot that it was a horror movie. I got so sucked into the drama that I was just like, I was like, Oh my gosh, this is like moving. There's that, there's a scene later on the movie where like, the mo- the mother and the grandmother have a they have this conversation and it, I was like so moved by it I forgot it was a horror movie and then went back to the daughter and I was like oh no we're watching a horror movie and I got <laughs> yeah, so I scared immediately and my whole body tensed yeah. up and like I honestly almost turned it off and walked away I almost had to take a break because I was so scared but like part of the fear was that I had forgotten. I'd like let my guard down, you know, I got so invested in the emotional elements of the movie that when the horror came back, I was just not prepared for it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, Nick, I would actually compare this more closely, maybe also because it's a, uh, uh, Australian horror film, but, uh, the Babadook where it, I feel like that these two, those two movies are more closely related where Babadook uses, grief as the monster like like almost a literal incarnation of grief sure. is, is the monster yeah and this movie it's dementia is the monster and also the there's like two the setting it's one two one characters. house mm-hmm. very few characters uh you know trapped in this house with this scary monster but, female director uh, yeah. yeah female director australian <laughs> yeah yeah the to me like one of the coolest things about this movie is like it was genuinely scary and to watch it by myself in my apartment with the sound loud late at night like it was so fun to be terrified and i just haven't like seen a horror movie that's riled me up like that in a bit um i think in the wrong setting you could easily just like casually watch this movie and say it was nothing yeah but like with the right sounds by yourself it was great and it made me feel all those things that like you would you know, in middle school when we'd go see these movies with huge groups of friends. Um, I, yeah, I, I really liked the movie. The ending was just so like outstanding and resolved the movie and just like a really amazing climax. You know, we can't say what happened, but the prosthetics were amazing. What it meant Mm -hmm. was amazing. And it just left at, it ended the movie at the right point. Mm -hmm. Um, was just like a really smart Mm -hmm. cut. Um, yeah, yeah, blew me away. Um, I think, like, so I just always want to throw a little criticism here. Like, <laughs> Derek, you were talking about the tropes. Yeah. Like, one thing that did bother me a little bit about the movie, um, while I was scared, I was just getting a little annoyed at like the so so typicalness of the like haunted house, 
the scary grandma. Here's just a scene where she does something a little bit weird. Mm. And then we just move on to the next scene. Like, here's her brushing her teeth for a moment. And yeah, I am feeling creeped out, but like, I don't know. <laughs> like, it, it is just such a typical horror movie at times. Um, here's her, like, she has a hobby that's candle waxing because we always have because to have our. It's like, creepy. Because it's so creepy and it's such a rare hobby. Um, the. Yeah, the monster in the shadows, and all of it did did affect me, but I don't know. I can't just help but thinking it was just a, like too typical at times. Mm-hmm. I, um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess like for me, I don't really disagree with any of that. All, aside from the fact that it it worked, like it was like, so well done. It, it, it it just did all yes, it did all that, but it worked and it was good. It it they did it effectively and it was scary. Um, and I but I don't think that it it relied on ju- like cheap jump scares, which I really it's only appreciated. like one or two like, jump scares in the whole movie. I think. Yeah. Like there was like the book that right. fell, but like, I don't even remember. That's the only one that I remember. My favorite um, part was the, uh, scare was the, the hair and her face in the opposite oh, direction. Yeah. yeah. And the shadow in the background, the like, uh, what was the great grandfather shadow. Yeah. And it, didn't end in any jump scare at all but like it gave me so much like perfect yeah. shivers yeah. seeing yeah. that in the like in the background mm-hmm. behind her they had a couple See, Brandon, yeah. that's why I like that's why I didn't find this movie like cliche uh, like a cliche haunted house movie because I felt like a lot of those like I agree I loved that scene where there was like that shadow in the background but up to that point there was the movie was pretty slow and there was hardly any like true like horror movie elements like there were just stuff of her being weird but like you kind of got the impression that there was like a supernatural thing that was happening but some of it was just like, yeah, I mean, she's like an old lady who's losing her mind and like, uh, you don't really know, uh, what she's capable of. Like there was a point where she had a knife and it was like, you know, she needs to get that daughter needs to get out of there because, you know, Mm. she's an old lady who's losing her mind and she doesn't know what she's doing. Like, you know, and so I, I thought it was like really creative and well done how it like, it kind of like leaned into the trope, but then kind of like didn't use the trope, you know? Um, Yeah. Uh, and also, like, it, it worked th- thematically. Like, it did kind of lean into that trope trope of the scary old lady, but it leaned into it in a way in a way that was thematically, you know, really powerful. Yeah. And you know, it wasn't just the creepy old lady. It was like, it, you know, it, the the monster was dementia. It was uh, Alzheimer's, and uh, it was pr- really powerful, especially with that ending. Um, I don't think the movie would have worked nearly as well if it hadn't nailed that, stuck that landing so perfectly. Mm -hmm. And really, like, um, it it affected me quite a bit. Uh, You know, I'm, me and Brandon are kind of going through a lot of that with my grandma right now. um, And I've been up there with her a a lot. Uh, She's not, you know, she doesn't get angry like this lady in in this movie uh she's actually a a incredibly sweet uh woman and she's almost she's only ever you know gets angry with my mom because she's her daughter and they get angry with each other but like you know i've i haven't really experienced the anger like this movie did but but that idea of dementia and alzheimer's as a monster like i'm kind of you know living through that right now and yeah. uh 
and you know the ending you know i don't want to say anything but like the black mark that that appears at the end that was just like yeah that's that's haunting Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. um yeah for sure well yeah um i yeah i agree sean Uh, very haunting um thanks for sharing that um Mm -hmm. you know bit of real life um yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's definitely I could tell that this is something that this who, who, the writer or I don't know if it was writer director or what, but um, yeah, writer director uh, Natalie Eric yeah. uh, James mm-hmm. really cared. Um, about. Yeah, she really cared. I, I'm sure it's something that she had she went through or saw her her mother or you know her a parent have to go through and deal with with uh, one of their with her grandma or, or something it, it felt really personal and um felt like something that she you know wanted to you know gosh and uh man, express really they really landed that ending though too like mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. like uh and i i hate to you know, i don't mean to make it like a, a sexist thing or anything but i can't help but feel like that was kind of a woman's touch to have the ending linger a little bit like that how um like the climax kind of happens and then there's like a like 10 full minutes where they just like linger in that moment and then they like you know kind of process it a little bit further than most movies would and uh it really becomes like an emotional ending instead of like a you know a typical horror movie ending where they just need to get out of there or something yeah Um, definitely it's really an ending um, that'll stick with me for a long time like yeah yeah, it's just that's pure movie magic right there yeah um, I do want to say one le- one thing uh, without spoiling it. Uh, have you guys read House of Leaves? Do you guys have any idea what that book is? Uh-uh. I know the I know the book. It kind of uh, the the creativity. The the book is extremely creative in the way that it's it's written. Like the the format of the book like changes as you go along. There's like kind of factors inside the book, and the format kind of changes as the characters move around and stuff. And uh, the creativity of the House of Leaves reminded me of how the climax unfolds in this movie. Hmm. So um, it, I just I was blown away by the climax of this movie and how how and what happens to the characters. I didn't see it coming and I was just like enthralled. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, Derek, do you have any closing thoughts for for your your movie pick? No, I'm just I'm really happy like we got to watch it. Like I really really liked it. Um, glad to see like awesome movies coming out in 2020 still even in this situation and also i was kind of i was like really really liked the lead act uh, emily mortimer it was like thinking the whole movie i was like i've seen her in mm-hmm. so many movies but why gosh yeah. she's so freaking good i don't know why i don't see her <laughs> like more shit but she was in the show newsroom the aaron sorkin show newsroom oh yeah maybe really she's more of a tv show. actress I don't know, but yeah, yeah, it's just like that's the only thing that I've seen her in a in a prominent role in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you look at her letterbox, and it's like she was in a lot of like very famous movies. Yeah. So like we've all seen her before: Shutter Island, Mm -hmm. Hugo, Mary Poppins Returns, Notting Hill, Scream Three. You know, we you like recognize her on the cover. You're like, oh yeah, I've seen her before. But like. Yeah, once you're like, when I was just watching it, it's like, I really haven't seen this out of her. Like, she's freaking awesome in this movie. So. Yeah. 
<sighs> okay, well, uh, I think we should move on to the next movie. Um, Brandon, uh, what was your uh, movie pick for this month? Uh, my pick was a film called Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. Uh, this is a film directed by Eliza Hitman. And the synopsis on IMDb says, A pair of teenage girls in rural Pennsylvania traveled to New York City to seek out medical help after an unintended pregnancy. Um, I think this is like the third or fourth film by this director, but I saw her last film, which got pretty good acclaim, called Beach Rats in theaters a few years back. And it was really, really great, like personal, very similar movie that took place very much in and about New York. And uh, this one, you know, late high school, almost like the same 17-year-old boy who was, um, I don't know, kind of started prostituting um, and started finding out through that that he was bisexual, uh, even amongst his, like, kind of conservative Coney Island gang. Anyways, that's a great film. And there was a lot of crossover in the mood and style and the character types uh, for both of these movies. So this director is kind of on a roll right now. Um, I was pretty surprised about this movie because I know, Derek, you said you didn't know anything about it either. I didn't even watch a trailer. Yeah. I knew nothing. Mm-hmm. I didn't even read the synopsis. Um, so it was... Sorry. Uh, so, yeah, it was pretty pretty great and powerful. And uh, we just watched this last night um, here at Sean's Place. Um, I think Nick... You, you have a really great statement to say about the way they display this like story and kind of deliver it on just a matter-of-fact way of what she has to go through. Um, I'll let you take that because I don't want to uh, you know, read what you wrote, but I think it's really well stated on how this movie deals with the politics of uh, abortion and what women have to go through um, to get this procedure done, the unfortunate circumstances. Um, one kind of interesting thing about the film is like how quiet it is and how reserved all the characters are and this is very similar to beach rats as well i do wonder if it needed a little bit more like just dialogue between the two leads to like spark their relationship and like there's a few tiny moments of like levity where you get some more bonding and i think if there had been a couple more it would have maybe helped and also helped when they finally did have that fight, which I think got resolved in a great way in the bathroom, which she just puts like makeup on her under her eyes. Um, that was a really beautiful scene. Um, but besides that, I think this movie was really powerful. It was like a slice of life that everyone really needs to see. Um, and that's it. I'm glad I saw it. What did you guys think? Yeah. Um, yeah, Brandon, I thought it was, I thought it was really great. Um, yeah, I thought this was a really good movie. It was that, that style of movie where it's basically like, uh, trying to be as realistic as possible. You know, those, uh, there are these, I feel like that's a whole genre. Um, although I don't know what a name of that genre would be, but like, and I don't know if fly on the wall is the best, uh, best term either. I just, you know, the movie was trying to be like, as, as just like, this is life. 
like, yeah, like a slice of life, I guess. But like that slice of life is something very, very dramatic and hard for someone to go through. And, um, that statement that you're talking about, like you reminded me, I couldn't help but think of, um, well, there are two things I couldn't help but think of, but, um, the song, uh, brick by Ben folds five, um, Ben Folds has said that that song, when he wrote it, he wasn't trying to uh, make a political statement or come down on either side of the abortion issue. He was just trying to um, he he had to him and his high school girlfriend got an abortion when when they were in high school. And um, it was a very uh, hard experience. and It was very sad for both of them. And uh, he was just trying to write a song that was trying to capture capture that feeling. And um you know, I feel like I feel regardless, like regardless of how you feel, though, you should feel one way more than the other. This is just what happens. And you are watching mm. it from beginning to end. Right. If, I mean, yeah. Regardless of what you feel about it, you need to know that this is a reality. Well, and that's the other thing. Like, you know, I I'm a big fan of the musician uh, Amanda Palmer. You know, she uh, she talks about abortion a lot. And uh, her thing is that like more women than you would expect have had abortions. Like statistically, like we've known women, like, I don't know. I, I know all of your wives and girlfriends. I, I, I don't know if any of us have actually ever had to go through this, but like statistically we've known people that have gone through it and maybe you don't know that they have or not, but more people, more women than you have ex- expect have gone through abortions and they happen regardless of whether or not, like whether or not your feelings are of them, like whether or not politically or philosophically, like abortions are happening. And, um, it, it's like most of these girls, they do what they do in this movie. They like, you know, pull up the internet and Google where to get an abortion and they evaluate how much money they have. And honestly, like the, the, there are cheaper places to get abortions and there are fancier places to get abortions. Like Amanda Palmer, I saw her live a couple of years ago and she told this whole story about how she got an abortion in New York city. And she went to this place that was kind of similar to the place they went to in this movie, except maybe a little worse where like they had like, uh, you know, the TV on and it was just like this, like the vibe was all weird and they made her stand in a line and it, like did, they weren't very nice to her and she ended up leaving. And then she ended up like finding a better place where she could pay 500 bucks and, you know, get, you know, have an abortion for, uh, you know, that was just nicer, but, um, either way, I'm sorry to be rambling about real life stuff, but (laughs) I kind of feel like, uh, I kind of feel like this movie, like, you know, captured that like experience without like making a statement about, you know, politically, like you should be, you know, uh, you know, pro-choice or whatever. It was just like this, this girl is in a really rough place. She doesn't have any money, but also like she, she, wants needs to get an abortion and this is what it might look like for someone like her this is what her story is and it was a very realistic story and it uh you know it was it was was very emotional we we talked about the final scene in relic a lot and i think this movie just had a jaw-droppingly brilliant scene as well that happened in kind of the abortion clinic psychiatrist office Mm. section Mm. of it and the way the scene plays out, the, like one take, the titular, really the titular scene the of the movie, titular scene, yeah. the, the long shots with the psychiatrist and you, you know, you calls back to the name of the film and she kind of has her breakdown. Like that scene is so like applause worthy and like it, yeah, it mm. hit me so hard. You know, I teared up. I, 
I felt everything, and that director nailed it mm-hmm. so perfectly. Yeah, that and that performance. Yeah. Like I, I just uh, was looking on IMDb. This is her first credited performance. Jeez. Uh, period. And wait, what's, um, what's her name? Can we can we say her name? Uh, Sydney Flanagan. Okay. Um, yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, this is it. Um, apparently, she is. Uh, she was on the soundtrack performed on the soundtrack for this as well uh but anyways and, and yeah the, the way that she performs that scene like you know she you can see her physically getting more and more like agitated and and um or not agitated but but flustered and then when they go into the never rarely sometimes always part of that scene the like her her face just like turns red and like she she doesn't start crying but like the, she yeah, can't like, speak. She well. can't speak. She, words, she can't get the words out. And yeah, yeah, it is such a nuanced, subtle, brilliant performance. And that's in for it to be an unbroken shot, just of you know a close up of her face. It's that's pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, it that whole that scene worked entirely almost entirely because of that performance uh and the writing as well was it's probably like a brilliant but five to like seven minute shot too Mm -hmm. it's like pretty lengthy yeah yeah Um, uh yeah uh yeah this the director eliza eliza hitman is very good at capturing like she's she's just really good at pulling out that like realistic feeling from from people because I feel like Beach Rats had the same thing going on where it was just like, you know, just capturing real life and the performance of oh of you that. saw Beach Rats too Nick yeah yeah I saw Beach Rats oh, I looked up on Letterbox I swear you didn't review it um I, I I have cool. it written on I I don't think I wrote anything about it but um yeah I I, I saw it and I enjoyed it okay um. Yeah, I like the you know I like the New York movies just like you do. You know the that that was cool because it was like uh, Coney Island, I think. Um, yeah. But yeah. Um, anything else? Like Derek, you, do you have anything else? Um, yeah, I mean, like you guys, I really like the movie. Um, I I definitely thought that this was like about making music. Sure, like going into it, I was like, this could be like a musical. There is oh, a boy. movie. <laughs> I don't know why. Oh boy. I, I don't like the letterbox pictures her singing and like for some reason I just thought it was about Oh like the intro with her guitar. Yeah, and then it, yeah, so it started out exactly she's as like expected. Singing. I was like, okay. Yeah, she's like, like <laughs> singing in the picture and stuff, yeah. And uh boy was this not that, but um <laughs> I you know, it's a pretty bleak movie, I feel like. And it is obviously like a slice of life, but it's like there's so much more in there that's just like, God, this like they just got it rough, you know, like even like their boss is like constantly like sexually harassing them. And like it's like every guy they meet is like doing weird shit to them. And like mm-hmm. it just like fucking sucks. And you really just feel so bad for these girls. And uh, the, the one thing that I really appreciated that they did with this movie uh, is that they still were able to build kind of like a structured adventure um, out of like this slice of like out of like a real story, you know, I don't know if it's based on like any one specific experience, but um, I think like being able to have like a resolution where 
throughout all these like hardships that these girls face and they're still able to like you know complete their goal and like as dark as it may be you know like i felt at the end there was like some levity that um you know even though you're saying like these slice of life movies can meander and yeah, and like some of them will just end. A point and a pace that you knew we were building towards. Yeah, like you could almost sort. take mm-hmm. like a hero's journey, and I think this movie kind of follows it for the most part. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, there certainly are like, yeah, there certainly are parts where they like they have to face obstacles and uh, yeah. mm-hmm. overcome like you know villains in some ways and yeah. uh, figure out how the to survive on the street and stuff. Of the adventure and yeah. yeah. I get that. I didn't, I didn't think about that at all, but that's, that's a really good point. Like for how realistic this movie is, it actually has like a, a structure of, of film. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that little bit was able to like, you know, Brandon's notorious for picking like movies like that. I feel like that are like really bleak and like dark and upsetting. And, um, I think just having it kind of have that like arc, um, really, helps me connect with it in a way that a lot of those other movies feel like they're kind of pushing me away. You know, like I'm not able to connect with them as much. Um, So I just appreciate that they are, that they put that amount of thought into how to tell a real story, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't mean like those stories are fake. I just mean like, it's like more of a real life story and they still were able to structure it in a way that like, I don't know. It feels like it, it, completed and you have hope even though she's going back right to where you know the situation that caused everything was but you kind of have hope Mm -hmm. that hopefully she's come out changed in a way that'll be positive yeah yeah i think um another thing about this movie is you could we could sit here and unpack the psychology of of these characters uh for a while uh there's so much complexity uh, going on with, <clears throat> um, you know, what they were dealing with and how they deal with it. As I, I assume they were both 17 year, years old or right around maybe uh, not under 18. Yeah. Uh, I know they were cousins. and But, yeah, the young girls at that age with, you know, kind of unsupportive parents um, – being forced to deal with this situation and and the psychology of of how they deal with it as teenagers um, was incredibly complex and uh, nuanced and interesting. And I was thinking if that's where the the sil- a lot of the silence came from. They were cousins, not necessarily friends. Yeah. And I was yeah. trying to like maybe they like they didn't really hang out that much, but they worked together, and this was kind of her reaching out for one of the first times mm-hmm. to be a very close friend. Yeah, and that so was maybe that's where a lot of the silence in New York came from. Like they weren't buddy buddy. Yeah, much. That, that, yeah, very well could maybe be because they were just cousins. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. was the impression I got was that it, that they weren't like super tight, but then when her cousin saw that she was in basically just a super desperate situation. She dropped everything to, to help her mm-hmm. out because that's what family does. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So it's such a beautiful relationship and like, man, the, the scene, uh, you know, I don't, don't want to get into spoilers, but the scene where, you know, they, they hold hands or, um, it was yeah. pretty powerful. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. Yeah, and there's there's so much going on in that scene. There's so much, <laughs> so many layers in that just in that one scene uh, with like that guy and and. Mm. Oh, okay. I know it's senior. How wrong? I mean, me, me, Brandon, and Kelly were were getting into a pretty in depth discussion about that guy (laughs) alone and morality of that guy and and the other men in the movie and um, you know what was going on there. One one subtle thing with that scene earlier on in the movie, she the cousin made a joke. in the bathroom where she took a French whore's shower and, uh, -hmm. uh, that, I mean, (laughs) it's maybe it's a not, yeah, I don't know. I feel like that was kind of a subtle little nod to, or foreshadowing of that scene that plays out later, Mm -hmm. um, with that guy. Uh, but yeah, you get any thoughts on that or, um, I liked that I scene because it's them being a little more playful. Yeah, that was one of the few times. Um, I mean, like Sean, you, like like you said, Sean. There's a lot that we can unpack with this movie, and uh, uh, we also have two more movies to talk about, though. So, oh, yeah. um, I think that we should move on. <laughs> yeah, um, we shouldn't get too oh, yeah. far in depth because we do have to keep going. But um, uh, I just want to say real quick, Brandon, what do you think of musician Sharon Van Etten in this movie? Uh, it's kind of surprising realize. seeing her. Sean said she was in the movie, but I didn't know who she was until we looked yeah. up it after. I forgot that she was in the movie, and I, I said it last last uh, podcast, and uh, I totally forgot until the end of this yeah. of the movie. But yeah, yeah, good good um, pick, Brandon. Small role, but good. I think this movie yeah, was on pick. all our radars, so I'm really glad you put it on there first to actually sit down and watch it. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, we—I guess we should say that Brandon, you didn't—you picked—you you switched from the one that oh, you right, previewed right. last month because we couldn't find that one anywhere. So uh, turns out that one's actually not out yet. So um, did I just say that? Switch mid month. Did I just say that in text, or did I say that on the podcast? Not on the podcast. I guess I didn't say it on the podcast then. <laughs> but anyways. Um, cool. Well, let's uh, let's move on to the next movie. Um, uh, looks like my movie's next. So um, I picked a movie called First Cow, which um, I've texted a few friends just saying like, hey, I just watched this movie uh, about a cow on the Oregon Trail. It's really sweet. You guys would like it. Uh, and uh, that's, you know, that's kind of what it's about. Uh, real quick, I'll read the summary on uh, Letterboxd. Uh, Tactiturn loner and skilled cook has traveled west and joined a group of fur trappers in Oregon Territory though he only finds true connection with a Chinese immigrant also seeking his fortune. Soon the two collaborate on a successful business, although its longevity is reliant upon the clandestine participation of a nearby wealthy landowner's prized milking cow. So, uh, long. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the plot though, basically. Yeah. I mean, like they, like, uh, it's about this guy, um, his name's cookie. And he uh, he's on the Oregon Trail and he's working with these trappers. And then he, uh, you know, the movie kind of skips around time a little bit. And uh, he ends up connecting with this other guy, uh, King Lou. And they, uh, you know, Cookie just wants to be a baker in the Oregon Trail for whatever reason. Like, and he he uh, they find a cow that's owned by um, this like, you know, I don't know what you would call him, but he's like a. He's a leader, like of um, 
of that of the this territory. He's like a wealthy dude, and everyone like looks up to him, does whatever he wants, kind he's of thing. Like an, and he's just an Englishman. I don't know if they have like more yeah. at that time if they had more like authority. Yeah, I mean, but, he's very wealthy. I mean, yeah. I think just having a lot of money and just he can do what he wants or whatever. Yeah. And so he has a cow out there, and I think he really only uses the cow for like. Uh, basic dairy use like he uh, just ha- wants to have cream for his coffee I think like he, he doesn't really do much more um, so they start sneaking into the the land at night uh, the property and just milking the cow at night and then he starts making these pastries and selling the pastries at the market and they become extremely successful and there's all these like really uh, interesting scenes of them uh, making making the pastries uh Boy, uh, it's like they fry them. It's like they so they have all this oil and they fry the pastries and then all these like manly men, typical mm-hmm. you know Western people that you would imagine. Like these two, the two main characters, Cookie and King Lou, are not your typical Western heroes. And they they start baking these like you know little cookies. They're not cookies. They're like biscuits. Uh, they're like donut type biscuits. Yeah, they're like biscuits. And so they start baking these biscuits for these like manly men who are <laughs> grizzled and coming out of the woods and oh, yeah, and getting in fights. And, yeah. yeah. And, Never tasted anything like that before. Um, <laughs> so, you know, that all of that was like very interesting. And, uh, you know, I, I like Kelly Reinhardt a lot. You know, she's uh, that's the director of this film. And um, that's why I picked this because uh, I've seen most of her movies. I think there's only at this point, I think there's only one I haven't seen. I haven't seen Old Joy. But, um, you know, I've seen Certain Women and Wendy and Lucy. Wendy and Lucy is my favorite one. But, uh, Sean, you worked on Night Moves. So she's a, mm-hmm. she's like a very indie director. Like, she totally does low-budget movies. And uh, she has a – her style is almost like – it's kind of like never, rarely, sometimes, always, where it's, like, very realistic in a lot of ways. But also, like, hers are, are usually pretty slow and often hardly anything happens in the movie. Um, Night Move is the one you worked on, Sean. I feel like it is the most plotty of all of her movies. And First Cow is up there with, uh, with how plotty it is. Although there's barely any plot. I think, you know, it, it, it sets it up pretty quick that, like, you know, that this business isn't sustainable. But then you're just kind of, like, enjoying them doing it, uh, selling these things. And, uh, I feel like there's, there's a very sweet sentimentality with most of her movies. And, uh, this is very, very present there. You know, the, the guy cookie, he, when he milks the cow, he has these very sweet conversations with the cow. Like the first time he milks it, he's going like, Oh, I know you're not expecting a visitor at this time of night, but you know, I'm just going to use some of your milk, you know? And then he comes back the next day and he's like, mm-hmm. people at the market love the biscuits and it's all because of your milk, you know, as he's milking <laughs> her. And it just like, so it just so, yeah, it's just really, really sweet. And there's like true, like heart to this movie. And, you know, the relationship between Cookie and King Lou is like, you know, really wonderful as well, because King Lou's like all capitalism. Like he keeps thinking like, oh, we can make money off this. We can make money off of this. And, you know, Cookie's just kind of like he doesn't really see the need to make the writ to take the risks. He, you know, he says multiple times, like, I don't know, it seems kind of risky, but then he does it anyway, because he, he likes, he likes making the, he likes doing it. Like he just, he really, this it's what he wants to do. And so, um, you know, I just kept wishing that there was like, uh, you know, some way where they could have, uh, you know, done it legally. And, and that's one thing that you keep thinking. I kept thinking about throughout the movie. I don't really want to get into spoilers about it, but, um, 
you know, uh, I don't know if you guys have seen Meek's cutoff, but I was talking to, you know, Matthew Cauchet, Cow- who's, uh, he said this is his number one movie of the year so far. And he feels like this is like a opposite Meek's cutoff because Meek's cutoff was also like an Oregon trail movie, but that one was very, very bleak and like very like nihilistic and sad and just lost. And this movie is more like sad and hopeful in some ways. And, uh, uh, I mean, I don't want to get into the ending because uh, of spoilers, but um, yeah, I think this movie is just very, very sweet, and um, I, I had a, I had a blast with it. And I, I do think it starts out very slow, and I was at first like, I don't know how much I'm gonna actually enjoy this movie, and then, uh, and then like he starts milking the cow, and I was just was on board completely <laughs> after that. And uh, such a funny scene. <laughs> but yeah i was asking myself that question as like i would have loved for a scene of them once they were making a profit for them to just at least try to offer him money for some milk like they didn't even try and it just could have saved them or i guess it could have ruined everything because he would have Mm. kind of saw what they were doing but yeah like once they had some money i wish they would have tried that um yeah I think there's like some, you know, there's some interesting uh, economic theory going on in this movie too. Like, the the reason why the only reason why they were able to make a lot of money is because there were no cows. That was the only cow, and th- th- it takes, you know, a rich guy who's willing to blow money on a cow, bringing a cow up from from uh, California up to this, you know super remote remote Oregon territory uh, just because he has the money to blow on it that's the only real way to make money as a baker and in, in, you know using the milk to to do this yeah uh, I liked those scenes with uh, so, his friend talking yeah. about the we got to like this isn't gonna last like yeah once cows come up here this is all gonna be over we need yeah. to move on and they can't go down to San Francisco and do that because there's there's a ton of Cows Baker, down. yeah, there's already a ton of cows down there, and there's too much competition with baking, and they're talking about ho- opening a hotel down there, and there's, you know, so I, I thought there was a lot of interesting stuff going on with that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I also really liked the the setting of this movie, and even with, like, this director on such a low budget, she's able to, like, make such a realistic environment that I guess you just don't see very often um in film like oregon northwest but in 1800s like mid 1800s i guess is what i'm guessing this was in um it's just like it felt super just realistic like you were living in the mud with these horrible lives of these people that they have to go through um compared to you know compared to our standards and like literally there's i remember when they're counting their money and there's literally just like seashells in there and mm-hmm. like they weren't even using any kind of currency they were so yeah. far away from civilization. like some silver coins and one yeah. of the silver coins was like cut in half yeah it was just like these really great details um yeah and then they were using i don't know like cloth one thing cloth. one thing that i thought was really yeah. interesting about the setting was when they were like okay let's go down to the market and see if people buy these and you know any other market they'd have like a table and there'd be other people right. at the market mm-hmm. but they just went down to the town and then just sat in the mud Put and they just cloth. were like well hopefully ho- mm-hmm. yeah like hopefully people will buy these we're just <laughs> sitting here on the ground and then people would walk Our up dirty and hands just touching all these like, yeah. biscuits and hand it to um, you and 
and yeah, you know, and then like you know, they turned into profit, but still, they were just seen there in the mud, and it's just like, yeah, you don't really see that in film too often. I mean, how many westerns are there in the world, and how many of them are about like the Oregon Trail? You know, not mm. not many. I, don't, yeah. I mean, Sean, you're the western expert here, but um, I mean, yeah, I, I there was um, yeah, McCabe and Miss Miller, which was not about the Oregon Trail, um, but yeah, Oregon Territory. Uh, I I also really liked the cold open um, mm, with maybe yeah, in it yeah. uh, from Arrested Development, um, and I thought it was an interesting conversation. Slash Slash film was talking about if um, if this they're like this only could have been at the opening. It couldn't have been chronological, but I like I think there oh. could be a really awesome cut at the end to just this dog all of a sudden in the river and you're just like, what is happening? But either regardless of all that, like it worked so well as a cold open. And, um, it reminded me of the opening of season two of the leftovers and what they do with time on that. Um, just a really brilliant idea to start a movie and, to juxtapose the timelines mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. And I think the most important thing that that cold open does is uh, it allows the movie to end where it ends while giving it a beautiful closure. Yeah. Uh, You know, that cap it off with the extra information. Yeah. Without actually having to go through that that scene where, okay, obviously the one guy dies from his concussion I guess, sorry, I got it got right into spoiler there. But yeah, I mean, without having to go into, well, maybe it's not a spoiler because of the cold open. But like, you know, it, it, it completes that story without having to show it or tell it. And it's able to just, it's able to end with this really beautiful moment between the two characters um, while having already told the rest of the story. I think that's what's so interesting about that. And, uh, yeah, again, like another movie that totally just nails its ending uh, for me. Um, Yeah. Um, And, like, Nick, you were talking about where this fits in the Western genre. It's, I would say, like, this is almost a, like, an anti-Western yeah, like, would you like consider this a Western? Like, or like, I mean, is oh, it? Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I, I would, it, it like would fit right along with McCabe and Miss Miller and like Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. And, you know, like, is it as an anti Western, like really f- flipping all the Western tropes on its head, but it's still clearly a Western. Like, mm. um, it's not about those manly men who get in fights in bars and, uh, it, it's it's about this baker and um, and you know his his buddy who started a baking business and start making money from it by stealing milk from it. You know it's um, yeah, and it, it doesn't even it is it, similar to McCabe and Miss Miller. It doesn't have a that typical Western shootout in the end. It's it you know this movie chooses not to even show that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, because of what the cold open accomplished. So, I mean, there's a, I think there's a lot of, um, tropes that you could almost say it, like it just, it take that trope, but do the opposite of it. And that is this, this movie. And that's how it fits into the Western genre. Okay. Totally. That's a, that's a great point. Um, 
cool. I uh, I'll add it to my Western list. Um, I don't know if I told yeah, I don't I know if I told you, but I made I made a list of a hundred westerns, and uh, so like eventually I'll work through them, and then I'll and then I too will be a Western expert. But uh, <laughs> of the of the hundred, <laughs> I've only seen I've seen fifty. Yeah. So um, oh, I mean, you can start. You're already an expert. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. Well, I mean, Sean's probably seen more, so. You know, I mean, I don't know. I only saw like, I mean, for my Western movie, I've I've seen a bunch more outside yeah, of the but, ones he's seen over the yeah. last decade as well. Uh, I've probably I, I watched like thirty five movies in my westerns anthology. Right, but I mean, like my list also has almost heroes and Wild Wild West on it, so oh. you know, those are westerns. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely westerns. They're definitely westerns, yeah. but like, yeah, yeah you know nice. what I mean. Like, you're definitely mm-hmm. past fifty. You know, you're probably. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'm sure I am. Um, cool. Right. Well, uh, we can move on to the next movie, though. Um, I I highly recommend this movie, though. Back to um, the Future Three. Yeah. Um, cool. So the last movie that we're gonna talk about today is uh, uh, Sean's pick. Sean, uh, you wanna set up your pick? Um. Yeah. Uh, I picked the movie Weathering with You. Um, this is from the director. Um, <clears throat> let me tr- let me take it slow for a second here. Uh, the director Makoto Shin- Shinkai, Makoto Shinkai, uh, the writer director of a movie that I absolutely loved, uh, Your Name, uh, which came out a few years ago. Um, so yeah, I, I picked this movie based on some good, uh, you know some good word of mouth um, on this podcast six months ago. Yeah. Brandon on this podcast six <laughs> yeah. months ago. Uh, but also, uh, because I loved that movie so much. Um, like I, it, uh, your name had such a fun and interesting, uh, sci-fi concept. It had such great characters. And I like most of all, I loved the idea of two characters falling in love by living the other person's life and dealing with their problems and and it falling in love by trying to make each other's lives better. Uh, I thought that was such a great concept and so well executed and had such interesting characters and, and everything. Um, uh, and I know that you're not like... There's no point in comparing two movies, just these two movies, just because there's similar, you know, the same director, writer, director. Um, But I kind of, I tried not to, but I kind of, maybe part of me did. Um, But I was a little uh, underwhelmed by this movie. I didn't dislike it really in any way. It just was underwhelming. Um, I guess for me, I, I felt like the the central concept of the movie was a little uninteresting. Like the, the idea of a sunshine girl. And I, I just, I didn't really find that very interesting. I found the, the relationship pretty kind of one dimensional. Um, you know, the, the romantic relationship pretty one dimensional. Um, and I found most of the characters somewhat in, uninteresting and not very well established. Um, I found myself not knowing who the characters were aside from just good hearted people. Um, and, um, yeah, I, just, I, I was a little underwhelmed by this movie. 
Um, having said that, it was absolutely a gorgeous movie. There were some brilliant, uh, subtle moments, like character moments that like got these big, grand, um, exaggerated animation, animated, um, you know, representations of what like the characters were going through. That was, was really cool. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, you can't can't deny the beauty of the of the animation and and the creativity there um but other than that i was a little underwhelmed by the story and the characters and and the the concept and the idea of the movie so uh but i i do really want to hear what you guys have to say uh, <laughs> i could not disagree <laughs> so thank you so much to hear this um yeah and i even got i got to see it twice and i i I like it even more now though previously i loved it and it's been like four years since your name came out but at this point i i feel like this is somehow the better of the two films um and on the rewatch i just rewatched it and i'm like ecstatic about this movie it's gonna go even higher on my end of the year list than i was expecting Early in the year when I saw it, um, yeah, it blew me away. I think one detail that stood out this time that I didn't really realize the first time was specifically the sound editing. I know that's really specific, but, like, they did it over and over again in the movie. Like, when he pulls out the gun um, early on um, with the guys Mm -hmm. that are trying to beat them up, um, even in the climax when they're, like, falling from the sky, they do this, like, really cool thing where they... Just everything goes dead silent mm. except for one except for one like sound or one note in the score and sometimes they'll like tweak the notes so it's like all electronic-y sounding and that's all you're hearing for a moment uh, it just has these really powerful effects and it gave me like chills a lot of the time and I think like literally the sound editing was the culprit for a lot of it um, The and along with the sound like I didn't really pinpoint it last time but there's like a really reminded me of Legend of Zelda score with maybe it's the instrumentation they were yeah. using for this. Yeah. But uh, it was super beautiful when it wasn't like, you know, exaggerated anime J-pop music. <laughs> um, it was this like really beautiful Legend of Zelda score that mm-hmm. tied the movie together. Um, and the climax of this film to me was like, like so many perfect endings on our picks today, but like it's one of the most epic grand climaxes you could ask for in this movie what it culminates to um with the with the sky ending um and it really got to like i kind of was tearing up when he you know kind of has his final confession while falling through the clouds um and then i think it's super ballsy of the writers right after that to um say what happens to tokyo afterwards and they just go all in on this like sci-fi tokyo-ness um into the future and uh, that was just a really cool like touch to the ending um, is how far they're willing to take the, the weather and what it does to the city. Um, love the film. I think especially after this rewatch, it will probably be in my top 10. <laughs> so exact opposite. Yeah. I'm totally with you, Brandon. Like I haven't seen your name. The fact that like in general, it seems like people consider it the better of the two is crazy. I'm really excited to watch that now. And that like your name was was on my radar just from people liking it so much, but it was one of those movies that 
I don't, it could be years before I get around to watching it. And, um, I'm so glad you guys had me watch this cause your name, like I'm watching it this week for sure. Um, but God, yeah. Like I echo everything Brandon said. Um, like, especially with the ending is just so big and like, there's like, I feel like we've had conversations that are similar to, there's a moment in here where they're kind of one of the side characters is kind of, I guess he's one of the main characters, but the one, the guy with the daughter is like mm-hmm. kind of going through his, you know, his shtick and he's kind of dealing with what his niece, his niece, I guess, or something. Well, well he's, he's talking to his niece, but oh. yeah. His but niece like is uh, Allison Bree. Yeah, he was living with his niece, but he okay, did. Okay. Have a, he Sorry. had a daughter. Yeah, yeah, as yeah. Well. But yeah, they're talking, and they he, they kind of talk about like I don't know if we're worried about spoilers or not. But this might be. I don't know if I should talk about this. Actually. Go for well, it. Just like they're talking about like the morality behind. It. He's like, well, if, you know, if we have to sacrifice one person to like save the city, pretty much, like it's fine, mm-hmm. you know, and like like it's not not a big deal. I feel like we've had this discussion in like high school and stuff about different movies that have kind of posed the same thing, like, you know, cabin in the woods and stuff like that. Like, and just Watchmen. Yeah. Watchmen. And just to be willing to like, so like in this, this movie is so bright and like cheerful and like pretty sweet, you know, and like heartwarming and like they, it's peppered with these really dark concepts like that, like that, that right there is a pretty big, like, you know, like moral quandary of a decision for them to just full on make at the end of the movie. You know, there's like, this is how it's going to be. And it's like, that's awesome. Um, but, and I, he says it while he's like having his drink and lighting up his cigarette that he's not supposed to. Have. Right. It's like, yeah, really dark. Scene. Yeah. Yeah. And this movie like has a lot of those, like, I mean, it's like a playful animated movie for the most part, except for when like a little kid pulls out a gun and shoots at like a person. And like, yeah, it's like, it's just filled with, it has like this really interesting tone where it's just, I don't know that dark undertone of the, the themes that they're dealing with. I think really help this movie not feel like too, too much like indulging into like the anime scene you know what i mean like i like anime a lot but uh it's like crazy exaggerated about everything and while this has tons of exaggerated concepts and it's it bases itself not in reality enough that like we don't question like weird things like like the weather like what's happening in the whole movie but like that dark undertone kind of helps keep it grounded enough too where it i don't know it just it just finds this like untargetable line that I've never really seen and it rides it so perfectly throughout the whole thing. Um, just everything works for me in this movie. The, I was totally into like the J-pop stuff too. <laughs> like, I don't know, just like rocking it. Like, God, this, this movie's just like singing the whole way. And um, it's used really well. Yeah, it is. And um, yeah, I totally bought into like their relationship. And um, I think you kind of a, at least I kind of approach approach animated relationships differently than like live action relationships, if that makes sense. Like, I feel like they're carrying a heavier load, like trying to convince us of different things. And so, um, 
I, I can kind of like hear what Sean's saying about different character aspects, but for me, like those in an animated setting, I feel like they work in where like if this movie was done in live, like I was constantly thinking because I've heard a lot about rumors that they're trying to do like a live action your name movie. And I was kind of thinking throughout this, I was like, I wonder how they do this. Like, am I, like, I don't think this movie would work in live action, at least not the way it is. Like, they'd have to change it drastically. Um, I don't know what my point was there. I think there's, like, some... I grant animated stuff a little bit of a leeway when they're trying to do, like, really grounded stuff because it's not a grounded medium. And the story on its big scale isn't grounded, really, either. And so, uh, I don't know. I think they just, they figured it out and they did it perfectly. And, and yeah, I just love, it's just such a big, cool, unique concept done in a way that I haven't seen done before. And they still like did it in like Tokyo as opposed to like some magical place, you know? Um, yeah, I just loved it. Yeah, that, that's a that's a good point, Derek. That I think it's I I personally think it's totally fair to uh, view uh, animated movies a little different. I mean, just as like I view horror movies different sometimes too. It's like I think it's fair to uh, look at a movie in its genre a bit. I mean, you're not gonna watch Cars and be like, you know, where are the door handles yeah. or whatever. Uh, although you might as a joke, but you know, right. it's like yeah. that's not a real criticism of a movie or like right. the realism or whatever. So. Right. Nick, did you see this movie? Um, I did not see this movie. I didn't. Ooh. I didn't. Uh, I didn't have. I didn't make time to watch it. I should say. I. I. You know, we we talked about it, uh, uh, and it was like. Uh, I thought I said last episode that you weren't hundred percent like you didn't have to watch all of the movies you were encouraged to. Yeah. And uh, this last yeah. month, I've been busier than I've ever been, and mm-hmm. um, I saw your yeah, name uh, in twenty seventeen. And, uh, I didn't really like it. Um, I'm not really that into anime and I read a little bit about this one and I was like, I don't think this is for me. If I have time, I'll, I'll watch it. But, um, I, I didn't have time. So, uh, I apologize. I didn't, I didn't get to it, but, um, that's why I've been so quiet. Cause I'm like, I don't, you know, I'm not going to like, I, I, I already have a predisposition to not right. enjoy, like, it's like, you know, it's like, it's like, I have the same thing going on with musicals and, um, like period pieces sometimes. Like I just have and, a predisposition to not like movies about talking animals. Yeah. Yeah. Like I have a, that doesn't mean I don't, that doesn't mean I won't find movies like that, that I will enjoy. But, um, you know, uh, it's more, it's, I got to like overcome a lot and I have to be like in the right headspace. And if I, I just was like, if I, if I'm forcing myself to like this, to watch it, I, I'm probably not going to enjoy it. And I just, I just didn't have the time. Yeah. It, just, it, was, it was funny, Nick, because Sean almost didn't watch First Cow. And he was like, I don't think Nick said it was a requirement <laughs> to watch all the movies. And I was like, Sean, we have time. Turn it on. For what it's worth. We understand. You're, you're much busier than Sean yeah, is right now. So much, much busier. <laughs> for what it's worth, I think this was my favorite movie we watched this month. Oh, wow. Like this really, yeah. Wow. This is, wow. And it's our wow. most divided movie. Yeah. Awesome. 
It's so funny because Sean picked it and you guys are just <laughs> raving about it. Like, yeah. I'm so I'm so uh, into this whole thing of like, you got to pick a movie that you think you'll like and hopefully it'll work out for you. And then, yeah, yeah it's kind of awkward giving the opening statement to a movie you <laughs> yeah. like, for a movie but you forced us to you know, or told us to just swapped, especially <laughs> one where immediately everyone else praises it. The other funny thing about this movie, though, too, is that you this movie also was almost unavailable because uh, mm-hmm. you thought, you know, Brandon reviewed this back in yeah, like six months ago. So we figured it'd be mm-hmm. out and available at the stream, but turns out the only way it was watchable is if you bought it. So, uh, yeah. so you ended up buying this movie and then sharing mm-hmm. the, sharing your Amazon yeah. password. Uh, with you us, were the one that bought it and you don't even like yeah. it. Oh. Man. Yeah. We should all be ashamed of ourselves. I was actually planning on saying this. Uh, we all, Nick, you probably don't know, but we all watched the English version of this film. Oh, yeah. And oh. as film critics, oh. Sean bought the English version and the Japanese version was not purchased. Oops. Um, yeah, so we watched this I, dubbed like amateurs and we should all be <laughs> I I definitely take the blame, <laughs> obviously. Sean, maybe you would have liked it more I if you had seen the Japanese version. I don't know. I definitely, I mean, I bought it. Like, it. it's weird because it. I feel like, I mean, since DVDs have been out, you buy a DVD and you there's like a Japanese dub and American <laughs> original and yeah, like French. There's different? like five different right. uh, languages. So I did, wasn't even thinking about it. I just went to Amazon and I bought it. And after I bought it, I realized it was the English version. That's really weird. And I probably awesome. could have, like, returned it and gotten the Japanese version. But I was like, eh. I mean, but it is For the record, the lead's melancholy, like, voice, yeah. I was kind of into, like, with his narration and that went through mm. the movie. Like, I was kind yeah. of into, like, his kind of sad voice. Yeah. It was mostly Japanese yeah, actors and, and that did all the voices anyways. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. There was yeah, Alison like Brie. Alice and Brie. Did the, uh, there was, like, one or two. The uh, the Riz Ahmed, I mean, just Riz Ahmed, was in there and uh, the who? Riz Ahmed. Riza? No, oh, Riz Ahmed. I thought you said the Riza. I, was I like, did. Riza? I <laughs> said the Riz Ahmed on accident, but uh, yeah. Uh, well, cool. Yeah. Um, cool. Great. Well, um, I mean, do you guys have anything to add, or should we uh, close up this episode? Close it. Well, close it up. Lock it up. Cool. Well, uh, I mean, we're gonna do the same thing next month, where we're we're all we've all picked a movie from 2020, and uh, like I said just moments ago, you're not required to watch all the movies, although it is encouraged. Yeah. Uh, I think the conversation goes a little better when we all have seen it, we all have something to say, and you know, it's fun. I mean, it's that like, goes for the listeners too. Yeah, yeah. come on, p- play along with us. Uh, you have <laughs> four weeks to watch four movies. Five movies, four weeks to watch five movies. Uh, you know, uh, if something sounds interesting, yeah, like let's listen, let's watch it. You know, let's have a great time with it. So, um, Sean, uh, what movie are you going to watch? What 2020 movie are you going to watch? Uh, I mean, how how can we not talk about Mulan? Absolutely, absolutely, great pick. We we should talk about Mulan. Um, Mulan is going to be available on Disney Plus. The only blockbuster, big blockbuster this that's year. come out this year. Yeah. I guess, uh, I mean, not entirely. Birds well, of Prey. There's a few, a couple early on. What else was there? Birds of Prey, is that it? There's a couple horror movies, but. I mean. The biggest sense. Yeah. 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 I think it is fair to say, too, that like Tenet is coming out, but uh, mm. it's not going to be like, I don't. 
you know, New York, Seattle, like I, I, as far as I know, theaters are not anywhere near opening, um, Mm -hmm. tenant around here. Um, although it is advertised at a drive-in, um, up North in Oak Harbor, but I've also heard that Christopher Nolan isn't letting it play in drive-ins unless theaters are open in that general area. So, um, I don't know. I'm toying with the idea of going to see a drive-in, but I also think that big, like serious action movies don't play very well at drive-ins. Yeah, I like feel I like saw, that would not be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. I saw a mission impossible, like five or six at the drive-in and it was like kind of underwhelming. Whereas like Jumanji enter the jungle, like that would be pretty fun at the drive-in, you know, it just, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm kind of skeptical with 10 guys. The I just, I just had a flash uh, that I was watching Tenet in in uh, the what is it the not the yeah Dolby Atmos theater and like I had yeah, I had geez. like had a daydream for a second <laughs> and I was so happy yeah yeah like I I mentally was there <sighs> and like there a rush of happiness it will play there it will play there it just yeah. might be like a year from now before it plays it yeah. I guarantee you I when that opens movies. it's gonna be one of the first things playing mm-hmm. there. But yeah. Anyway, so Mulan, you're, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to derail it, but Mulan <laughs> yeah. is a Not blockbuster to. that is going to be uh, out in, uh, just September and, uh, you're, you're picking it. Uh, you're going to watch it and we are yep. encouraged to watch it too. Um, we'll figure out how to yeah. watch it too. Yeah. It's cause it's, there's some, it, it's good. It's kind of expensive. Like you have to be subscribed to Disney plus and it's going to be $30 on top of that. Yeah. So Which is, we'll figure something out. Maybe we'll do a watch party when yeah. Brandon's here. It's kind of, it's kind of crazy. Um, that, that it's mm-hmm. that much, but also it's like, yeah. you know, that I think the idea is that you would watch it with your family where if you went to the theater, you'd right. be paying that much. So, um, and it's like they, they made this movie expecting to make, Billion billions dollars. one and a half billion <laughs> dollars at a yeah. minimum so <laughs> sounds ridiculous yeah. To say that number. yeah 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 so uh brandon uh what movie are you picking for next month uh my movie is another or not another sorry uh my movie is boy state uh this is a documentary that just came out on apple tv plus whatever it's called streaming um it's about texas high school uh students who kind of go into a boys politics camp and it's kind of like a model UN but for like US politics only and that's kind of what this camp is Um, I guess they have them in a lot of states but anyways um, it's documentary it's gotten incredible reviews and it's streaming on Apple TV plus wow that sounds really interesting Um, cool well that's that's good to know Uh, Derek what about you um, my movie I'm picking is called You Cannot Kill David Arquette. I just found out about this movie yesterday and I'm so pumped for it. Or it, like I watched the trailer for it. The trailer, it just kicks ass. It looks so awesome. So Nick, you might even know more about this. Do you know about this movie? Um, have you heard of it? I, I think I heard that they were making it. I do know about David Arquette. I know a lot about David Arquette. Yeah, yeah. And so I think I know about like what this documentary is about probably more than I know about the documentary. I think you probably know a little bit more about, like, I'll tell you about it a little bit. It's just, it's a, it's a wrestling documentary essentially about David Arquette and his relationship with, with wrestling. And uh, apparently the plot of this movie is him um, actually training for a long time and like trying to redeem himself. I don't re- fully understand oh gosh, his, crazy. his world, like his relation to wrestling, but 
the trailer kind of made it seem like it's like he's I mean, it's not it's great. Deep, man. <laughs> like it's yeah. deep, man. I mean, ready to rumble. I mean, right. we've all seen ready to rumble, right? I mean, yeah. uh, maybe I shouldn't say we all have, but I definitely have. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he was, that was a WCW movie. And then he actually started appearing in WCW and he became WCW champion. And that was right. like one of the moments that you can point to and be like, yeah, WCW died because of that. Like that company <laughs> went under bus- and business, yeah. like, you know, months later because, of choices like that where in wrestling you can, you know, you decide what happens, who becomes the champion and stuff. And they chose to have this guy who's not a wrestler become the champion. And it was just awful. Right. But yeah. And, and so then he tried to, this is kind of him trying to redeem himself and actually do like a good wrestling, like have a, I don't know if he had some sort of career, I'm sure it'll explore it, but at least one, you know, match where he can actually prove that he's a wrestler to some extent, I guess. So apparently it's getting really good reviews. I'm just really, really fascinated with that and excited to watch it. It's, it's extremely fascinating. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I, I didn't know this was coming out so soon. So, yeah, I'm, I'm psyched. Yeah. Uh, good pick. Great pick. Um, I'm picking the movie uh, I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Uh, this is Charlie Kaufman's new film. Uh, he uh, is known as a writer mostly, where he wrote um, Being John Malkovich, Adaptation, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, some of my favorites. And, Confessions um, of Dangerous Mind. Yeah, mm. Confessions of Dangerous Mind, yeah. He, um, uh, this is his third film that he's actually directed. So he did Synecdoche, New York, Animal Lisa. So this is his third one, and uh, he is... He's always full of extremely creative ideas. All of his movies are just extremely creative and unique and totally different. Uh, you don't know what you're going to get with his movies. Um, like, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I honestly don't, I barely know anything about the plot of this movie, um, which I, I kind of, you know, I'm kind of trying to leave it that way, but it is going to be available on Netflix like next weekend. So um, anyone can watch it that has Netflix. So uh, yeah, check out this one. Uh, it should be interesting. I'm thinking of any things. So uh, for our film club segment, Brandon, you get to you're picking uh, the movie from any time period that um, that all of us are forced to watch. Um, what what movie are you picking for us? So I'm going to spare you guys on. I will not be picking Capernaum to force you guys to watch. And I'm going to go for a much uh, less depressing film and a much way weirder film. Uh, This movie is called Border. It's a Swedish film that came out in 2018. It's a Swedish fantasy drama. And uh, I I loved this movie so much. It just barely missed my top 10 that year. And I'm really excited to rewatch it and have you guys experience it. Um, I think it's uh, it's on Hulu, I think. Yeah, Yeah, it's on Hulu. I've almost watched it so many times. Uh, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So it's, it's not it's what any what you expect at all. Yeah. No matter how much you look at it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've seen the poster. That's all I really know, and it yeah. looks weird. But yeah. yeah, I mean, it could be about anything. But yeah, that movie's Border. Um, yeah, I, I'm very excited about this. Great. I'm glad you're forcing us to watch this one. So, yeah. uh, great pick. Good job. Um, Cool. And with that, I think we should just uh, wrap the episode up. Um, you know, thanks for listening, everybody. And, uh, you know, um, watch some movies. Enjoy it. You know, don't go outside. Wash your hands and, uh, you know, be safe out there and watch movies. You know, uh, there's still a bunch out there 
that are right in your living room. So uh, uh, check it out. Uh, this has been the Monthly Movie Dispatch, and uh, have a great day. Bye. Bye. See you. See you.